name is Dalton Wires here, as always, with Alex Brooks, Tom Westfall. Today, we're going to be tackling Captain America. Uh, this one is introducing one of everyone's favorite uh, soldiers of all time. Uh, fifth movie here in the MCU timeline, um, but in terms of story, it actually takes place before all the others back in the 1940s. Uh, kind of a throwback. Uh, directed by Joe Johnston, um, which was kind of a blessing in disguise. We can talk about that a little bit later, but let's talk about box office numbers. I like to start off. Uh, only had a $140 million estimated budget on this one, uh, which is a little bit underwhelming compared to a couple of the Iron Man movies that we've already talked about. Uh, cumulative worldwide, glo- worldwide gross is also only $370 million. What did you guys think about this? That blew me away when I read that. That is low compared to what because when I because I loved it I really did and when I just saw those numbers because I hadn't seen those before I'm blown away I can't believe they didn't make more than that especially when I saw just how much they made in the U S they just barely cleared making uh, thirty million over what they spent in budget in the U S. What do you think, Alex? I was dumbfounded whenever the the gross report came out for the USA. And it's only thirty million above the budget. That that was bewildering. And that the world only doubled the US too. Yeah. yeah that was that was crazy. I don't understand why this one failed so much. It's a darn good question. Uh I don't know, maybe as we'll talk about later, maybe Chris Evans' performance is, you know, the human torch kinda <laughs> <laughs> Put a bad taste in everyone's mouth. I that know. could be it, yeah. Also, Joe Johnston, to go back to that, he's not super well known, and I think this is his first touch on anything to do with like superheroes and all. Um, obviously, he elected not to come back, which was a blessing in disguise, as I referred to earlier, because we ended up getting uh, the Dream Duo and the Captain America: the Winter Soldier, and we'll definitely get into those guys later, but. That also, I think, could have affected it is Joe Johnson's directing. But, I mean, you can't have a whole lot of issues with the cinematography here, right? No, and and Joe Johnson, like, you know, he's not a super well-known guy. But, I mean, he directed uh, Jumanji, uh, what was it, Hidalgo, back in 2004, which was a fantastic movie. He wasn't a producer, but he was a director. And he directed the third Jurassic Park, which I thought was really good. So, I mean, I, I think he was really, I think he's a solid director. I think just a lot of what you said, Dalton, a lot of people don't know who he is. Was that the original Jumanji that he um, directed or was it the, the new remake with The Rock? No, no, no. That was the original from 95. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Huh. That's neat. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you can handle, if you can handle Robin Williams, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I have full faith in you, sir. That's fair. Guys, we missed something in our Thor episode. Uh, we never did our rankings. Ah, We freaking missed it, dude. Where do you guys have Thor in your rankings? Uh, me? I uh, As far as Thor goes, I really liked it. I'm not going to put him in my top five. I'm going to say he's in my top ten. I'm going to say about eight. Okay. Thor hit number four for me. Damn. You want to a little? You want to get into that a little bit? Oh, why it hit number four? Yeah, that's a pretty high ranking. Because I think for me, throughout the entire MCU, you know, from this point, you know, from what we've covered and then what we will cover, you'll find that most of my top rankings are origin stories. 
because I can really get behind a solid origin story. Okay. And Thor, I mean that that his origin story was pretty solid, in my opinion. I've got this one at fifteen. I've got Thor at fifteen. And not because it's a bad movie at all. I don't think there's only like two movies that I think are like bad movies in the MCU. But it's just this one, it brings a whole lot. But it's in terms of story, I think it's a little out there. It jumps around a lot and it's not super it makes a lot of changes from source material that are not necessarily bad, but it does stray a lot. And I just think that it's not one of the better ones. So I've got it down at 15. That's fair. Where do you guys have the one we're talking about right now? Captain America, the first Avenger. I have Captain America just because I, um, I genuinely love a lot of the things that they do with the movie, and we'll talk about them later. I've got it resting at number six. Wow, you guys are so high on these. I've got it at 13. Wow. For the same reasons. Such hate. It's, it's a lot I actually, I honestly really like this movie, but what can you expect from someone that's never seen Star Trek, though? Oh my god! <laughs> All right, Captain No Office. Oh, <laughs> no, Tom's no never seen the Office. The, that section. Never seen what Office? I go to the Office every day. <laughs> Alex, where you got Captain America? I've got Captain America at number three. Oh my god! Ooh. For the same reasons you like that origin story? Origin story, man. And I really I really enjoyed the movie. The a lot of the uh little tidbits they put in here and there. The uh, the casting, you know, just the whole shebang. I really enjoyed it. It just goes to show that people can rank a movie really high and really low for different reasons and that doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad. It's just crazy subjective. I think that a lot of people take other people's um, opinions way too highly. Like a lot of people won't go see movie because it's got like bad reviews or whatever. And then you go watch it, you're like, oh, it wasn't all that bad. I kind of liked it. You just, you know, it's it's all subjective. So you got to go make an opinion for yourself. Right. I completely agree. There's some movies that I really love that people don't genuinely like, and I don't want to go into it too further. But like, uh, like the island, I love that movie. And so many people are like, man, that sucks. It's all subjective, man. Well, um, Alex, I think you wanted to touch on the soundtrack for this one. Yes, the soundtracks are my thing. So the music was done by Alvin Silvestri, and he is a fantastic, I mean, fantastic composer. So he's actually been, uh, he's actually won two Academy Awards, and he's been nominated for just dozens. He did a lot of music uh, for Back to the Future trilogy, Castaway, Forrest Gump, which I thought were all Ooh. solid movies. Okay. And, uh, I mean, he he's had touches on uh, movies all the way back to 1985, or, I'm sorry, 1972. You no, know, he really got his big start in 1985 with Back to the Future, and then it just took off from there. That's, That's awesome. a nice little tidbit. I've you know I've never been the soundtrack guy, so it's nice to have some background on the sound on this. I appreciate your take on that. I love soundtracks, and that's really cool that uh, the same guy did like Forrest Gump for God's sakes is the same guy on here. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So do you guys remember whenever we were doing the Thor podcast last week, we were talking about how it started in um, Tonsberg, Norway. Well, and Tom, I know you're about to dive into the plot here, but this starts out in the same city as I brought up last time, and, but it's just a different time period. I, th- I still think that's, I still think that's a pretty cool little throwback. Yeah. I had no idea that uh, until you mentioned that in the last podcast. Uh, that Tonsberg was the same place uh, as the previous one. I just never, I don't know, I guess I just never thought of it when I looked back at the uh, little subtitles there where they list where they're at. And, you know, uh, just to throw into the plot, you know, we start with a group of scientists in the Arctic and they uncovered an uh, aircraft and inside it, you know, we find the shield of Captain America and uh, we can obviously presume they finding cap in there as well can you imagine being one of those scientists like you you know straight back and there's captain america shield just in in there <laughs> so <laughs> uh and uh the movie then goes back and you know we tell the story of the plan and cap came to be in the arctic you know it starts in march of 42 and uh you see johan smith who obviously he's not going to be you know, anything important. He steals a mysterious relic called the Tesseract, which is just a freaking awesome name. I'm sorry. I think it's cool. And uh, he steals it from Tonsberg in uh, German-occupied Norway. Did you guys see uh, whenever he's actually, whenever Schmidt and his men are breaking into uh, this facility to steal the Tesseract, there's this uh, painting of Yggdrasil, the life tree, um, on like the, on the back wall of the building. I had that pointed out to me the second time I saw the movie. Thought that was a nice little Easter egg they threw in there. Yeah. You, <clears throat> you beat me to it, Dalton. I, I was going to mention that and say, I, I saw it whenever it, whenever the first time I saw the movie, and I thought it was a really cool little Easter egg. Well, staying with this 1942 trek, um, we're coming out of German-occupied Norway and moving to New York City, and we meet this little bitty guy named Steve Rogers. And uh, he's been trying to enlist in the military, but he keeps being rejected. Uh, he's got various health issues, physical problems. Obviously, he's a really tiny guy. Um, and he's attending an exhibition called The Exhibition of Future Technologies. And we actually have a cool Easter egg here. Um, I know I just realized that it was there. And I know, Alex, I know you saw it before. The Human Torch's original outfit was here. Yeah, I saw that in the uh, theater. I was like, dude, that's the Human Torch in the background. And I didn't think it made much sense. I know they always had such a hard time with the, you know, the Fantastic Four and the Marvel MCU and all that. So I thought that was kind of cool, but at the same time, kind of weird. I don't know. I had mixed feelings. Alex, what did you think about that? I thought it was a really cool little Easter egg. I, uh, whenever I saw it, I didn't, I didn't catch it immediately. But I, after I saw the movie, I went home and looked it up, and I, I thought it was a cool little thing. Definitely a nice little Easter egg. I'm, I'm a huge Easter egg fan, so I fangirled the other day when I saw it for the first time. Literally just like two days ago I saw it. Um, but while at this exhibition of future technologies, we also meet Sergeant James Bucky Barnes, who is uh, Steve's best friend here. And he's trying to enlist again, uh, but the persistence is going to pay off here because whenever he's uh, talking with Barnes about trying to help with the war, there's this guy that was overhearing him, Dr. Abraham Erskine. Um, and he allows Rogers to enlist. And at this point in time, we don't really understand why Erskine has the pull that he does. But we're going to learn that they that Erskine is working with Colonel Chester Phillips, Special played Educate. by 
played by Special Agent K from the Men in Black, Tommy Lee Jones himself, and British Agent Peggy, Peggy Carter. Um, they're running this little program uh, called the Super Soldier Experiment, where they're, they're really looking for someone to test this serum on. And he's enlisted Steve Rogers, who is this little tiny guy, as we just mentioned. And, and freaking Chester Phillips is not having this. It's this little guy. He he hates it. So he he pretty much decides to put him on a test, and he throws a dummy grenade into a crowd. He just yells, grenade! And this is what really wins him over when Steve jumps on the grenade and tells everybody to run. What did you guys think of this scene? I thought it was a pretty badass scene. I loved it. I loved the uh, the comment when he's trying to do the push-ups. And, uh, Chester Phillips goes, look at him. He's making me sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the whole... Uh, tossing the grenade and just all the troops just take off and he immediately just sacrifices himself is what he thinks he sacrifices himself. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. Cause he doesn't know what's a dummy grenade. So he thinks he's saving everybody or at least attempting to. Right. I thought the grenade scene was pretty cool because I have a lot of friends who are Marines and they talk to them about this and they're like, yeah, this is a modern training technique. Uh, their drill instructors or AIT instructors will walk in and chunk a grenade in the room and tell them to scatter. And just they'll randomly be throwing dummy grenades at people, uh, training their, you know, defensive techniques. So when I saw this, I thought it was really cool. Wow, I didn't know that. That would yeah. be insane. Yeah. I can see how that would issue a little anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the Marines. You're supposed to have anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't, you're not doing something right. Yeah. In the Marines, the world is trying to kill you. Yep. That's fair. Well, um, now that he's proven himself, we're going to skip forward a little bit to the night where Steve is set to undergo the treatment and be injected with the super serum. So Erskine and Steve are sitting in this tent. They're talking. And for whatever reason, Erskine decides to tell him that this guy named Johan Schmidt, who we mentioned earlier, is totally not going to be the Red School. He also underwent this a version of this procedure, but he had some side effects, and we don't really get into what it is. But, I mean, at this point, who's this Johan Schmidt guy? What's he going to be up to? I bet it's going to be acne. You know it was acne. It might be acne. Yeah. Maybe he's you've bald. Seen, yeah, you've seen all the commercials, you know, male pattern baldness, you know, acne, all that kind of stuff. I would like to see the uh, Super Soldier formula, uh, you know, list at the end of the commercial for all the creams you know oh yeah if you potential side effects boxers, include vertigo <laughs> <laughs> and possibly death <laughs> you may experience some flesh melting off your face <laughs> that'd be pretty dude we should like develop one just to be <laughs> hilarious some difference in skin pigmentation right? like a literally a commercial for the super soldier serum yeah that would be awesome there's got to be one out there i want to look it up now. i bet there is so after moving along with the plot here, after uh, after Doctor Erskine reveals to Steve about Johan, uh, it cuts to Schmidt and Doctor Zola working to harness the energy of the Tesseract. And what they're basically going to do is they're going to they're using this to fuel Zola's inventions, which is to basically make the the German offensive impossible to stop and basically immortal. And uh, Schmidt discovers Erskine's location, which we know 
is not good, and he dispatches an assassin, Heinz Kruger, to kill him. Thorn freaking Oakenshield. I could not Tom believe it. Has been waiting to say that. I could for like not two weeks. Freaking believe it. I couldn't believe it. I had to go back. I, I had to watch the part over and over again. Looks nothing like him. That is Richard freaking Armitage. That is Thorin freaking Oakenshield. So you're gonna have to elaborate for those of us who uh, are not catching on here. No, you know, you know what? If you don't, if you don't know, then you don't get to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's Thorin Oakenshield from The Hobbit. That is the king under the mountain right there. Ah. And he's got the cyanide capsule and everything, and that's so awesome. So I, I and he looks nothing like him. If you he go looks back, nothing like him. He looks nothing like Richard Armitage in even his uh, casting photos. I was like, that's not, no, that's not. And I had to make sure that, okay, maybe it's a guy with the same name. No, it's not. It's, it's actually Richard Armitage. Don't so, so which him. Armitage is the real? Does he look more like it was in The Hobbit or does he look more like Heinz Kruger? I don't know. I mean, honestly, they look nothing alike. So, who knows? I'm not sure about that. But we do know that this is the first of many actors that are actually crossovers for the MCU and Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I know that this is something me and Tom have been talking about. We're big fans of this, so we're going to go and go over this. There's 11 different actors and actresses that play in both series. The first one, and one of the least obvious, is Liv Tyler. So she, in Lord of the Rings, um, she plays Arwen, love of Aragorn. And then in MCU, she plays Betsy Ross, love interest of Bruce Banner. So that's a quick one. This We actually missed it. We missed the opportunity in The Incredible Hulk to talk about this. But I guess it's just, it took us realizing that Richard Armitage looks so different to really realize what was going on here. I mean, did we really miss an opportunity to talk about Bruce Banner? <laughs> you know what? You got me. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Hugo Weaving himself was in both. Hugo yeah. Weaving plays Lord Elrond, Lord of Middle-Earth in Lord of the Rings, and he plays the one and only Red Skull here in Captain America, the first Avenger. Spoiler alert. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I mean, I no, he doesn't either. He plays Johann Schmidt. And then Richard Armitage, as we just mentioned, plays Heinz Kruger, Hydra agent who does some stuff that we're about to talk about. Um, Lee Pace, who is from the great Chickasha, Oklahoma, uh, plays Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy and a couple of other movies and plays the Elven King Thranduil in The Hobbit. That is Lee. That's Lee Pace. I can hear the voice now. Yep. But man, they really did the makeup big and... They killed it. Wow. This I one might be more obvious. Andy Serkis. Of course. So he plays Ulysses Claw mm. in Age of Ultron and Black Panther, and then he plays Schmeagel. Um Evangeline Lilly uh, plays a pretty controversial character in the Hobbit trilogy. Love interest of Legolas, Tariel. And in the MCU, she plays Hope Van Dyne, who I don't think Alex knows who that is because he still hasn't seen Ant-Man. No, no, I'm not. You gotta, gotta watch honest. this. I gotta be I, honest. It's in my list of the top five worst. I I don't care. <laughs> I, I yeah, I agree. Here's why I don't care for Ant Man much. Alex, did you follow Ant Man in the comics? No, no, I have like zero base knowledge on Ant Man. Okay, here's the thing about Ant Man. 
the guy is an abusive asshole. And so I'm like, when it comes to Ant-Man, and they didn't do that in the uh, but I'm like, I don't really care for the character. I mean, they did, because uh, I like the actor, but in the movies, I'm like, eh. and of course, we'll talk about that later, and I won't spoil it too much, but. Well, moving on, we got four more of these crossover actors. Martin Freeman, the great Bilbo Baggins himself. Oh, yeah. Plays Everett Ross in uh, Civil War and Black Panther. Benedict Cumberbatch, one of the most epic dragon voices, plays Smaug the Necro- uh, and the Necromancer, Sauron. Uh, it also plays the great Doctor Strange, who we haven't talked about yet, but is one of my top movies in the MCU. Definitely. Uh, David Wenham plays Faramir, Ranger of Gondor in The Lord of the Rings. This isn't technically MCU, I guess, but he plays in Marvel's Iron Fist series. Oh, he does. Which I've actually never watched, to be completely honest with you. It's actually pretty good. I really liked it. Uh, I liked the uh, young actor that plays uh, the character. and um, Danny Rand? Yeah, plays Danny Rand. Uh, I really liked it. I, I wish I'd stuck with it. Uh, but it's uh, it's not bad. No, I have watched Punisher and Daredevil, and I think those are fantastic shows. Luke Cage is pretty good. I haven't watched that one, and I also haven't watched the other one. Whatever it is. The female-led one. Jessica That's Jones. Jessica Jones. Yeah. I like that actress, but not so much yeah. for her acting. So. <laughs> Kate Blanchett plays Galadriel, one of the most powerful characters in all of Middle-earth and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And Thor Ragnarok, she plays Hela, queen of the Asgardians. She's Goss a certified death. badass. Who is also one of the most powerful individuals in the entire, the entire history. Oh yeah. Yep. Last but not least, the young Carl Urban plays Aomer, writer of Rohan in Lord of the Rings, and he will play the Asgardian axe-wielding Scourge in Ragnarok. Oh! Very underwhelming character, but still counts. Yep, does still count. Yep. Pretty slick. Wow, I can't believe there are that many characters that cross over. Well, not characters, but actors. Yeah. Actors, whatever. Thorn freaking Oak and Shield. I'm sorry, it was right there. I just, I hey. still, keep, I'm still blown away. You know, Dalton, I'm glad you mentioned underpowered characters. I really am, because Doctor Arnim Zola mm-hmm. is probably way undercredited in this movie. He is, without so a doubt. If you go to the comics, Doctor Zola is the genius of the world, right? Which, I mean, don't get me wrong, he, he does some fanta- like some phenomenal inventions of har- harnessing the power of the Tesseract in this one, but they could have done so much more with him. You know, maybe we'll get a spinoff of Zola in the future, maybe not. I don't know if he's, I don't know if the, the MCU views him as that important of a character, but I think he was just way underdone in this movie. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think he had a small role in the Agent Carter, but I actually haven't watched it, so they probably didn't flesh him out too much in that either. But they do leave a lot to be desired. I'll give you that for sure. Yeah. I haven't watched Agent Carter either. Have you, Tom? I watched about two or three episodes. It didn't hook me in. And I was wondering, because uh, I was going to ask later on, uh, does anyone know, was it canon? Because I know they had a problem with uh, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, it wasn't canon. And they kept, and I think that's eventually why it failed. 
is because they kept having to change their own storyline to try and match up with what Marvel was doing because they didn't know. And uh, I didn't know if Agent Carter, if they maintained that canon or not. I think it's kind of like what they did with the uh, the Netflix series. Like it, it was originally going to be canon, but now they're retconning everything and none of it counts because they're going to be moving their everything to Disney Plus now. Right. That's what I think, but could be wrong. I wish they would just come out and say it. Be clear with it. Right. Yeah. Come I mean, on, Feige. So... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I was just yelling at Kevin Feige for not being clear. Yeah. So it's 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 canon along with you know the Runaways, Cloak and Dagger. So unless Feige himself says otherwise, then it's canon. Which he said. I believe he came out and said Agents of Shield is not canon. Yeah. He did. So yeah, Agent, Agent, as of right now, Agent Carter is canon. Hmm. Might need to watch it. I wonder, do we know if it's on any major streaming platforms? Should be on Netflix. Is yeah. It? Okay. I imagine they'll eventually get it onto Disney Plus. We're way off track now. We got to get back on track. Yeah, where are we at now? Uh, let's see. I think we ended. Oh, we just talked about the introduction of Heinz Kruger. Right. Thorn freaking oak and shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving back to Steve and Erskine. Now that Tom's got that out of his system. No, it's not there. <laughs> okay. So now that Tom's contained himself. <laughs> uh, so Steve and Erskine are in the secure lab. And Erskine and his team are fixing to inject Steve with special serum, which, by the way, this is, I believe this is the first time we're introduced to Howard Stark in this movie. Is it not? Yes. Oh, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. So, what I thought was funny is he's not played by Dominic Cooper, Cooper, or he's played by Dominic Cooper, even though he looks nothing like John Slattery, which we saw in Iron Man 2. Here's here's why. They didn't have the de-aging CGI technology to accomplish it. Which I thought was kind of weird, but that's the excuse they gave. Dye the man's hair black. Right? <laughs> yeah. He, he looks young. He doesn't look that old. So I, I don't know what they're. I, I guess just the year line doesn't match up right. So, so they couldn't de age him, so they just made him a different ethnicity and shorter? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I didn't think he would grow that. You know that tall over the course of fifteen years. Maybe he still got some super soldiers here. On the- <laughs> right. They claim not to be able to DH him, but they can make Chris Evans look like a three-year-old. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't add up at all. No. Right. That's what I thought, but that is that is the only excuse I can find that they. That's got to be some aging. Was the de-aging stuff? That, yeah, that doesn't add up. So I'll probably have to do some more digging on that. And see what I come up with. Hmm. Moving back to the storyline. So they inject him with the special serum. They've got him on the table. And, you know, they they inject him with something. And he's like, oh, you know, that's not bad. And Dr. Harris guy walks up. He's like, uh, that was penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you can kind of see it on Steve's face and Dr. Harris guy's face. Like, oh, shit, maybe this was uh, 
not going to be as pleasant <laughs> as I thought. <laughs> and then they're explaining that they're going to douse him with Vita Rays. So they're, uh, they're addressing this board of committees or something. Not exactly who all they are, but the, it's got the colonel up there, Agent Carter, and then you know a couple of different senators and governors. So they give them this explanation, and then they shut the doors. And uh, Erskine knocks on the window is one of my other uh, favorite comments. He's like, Steve says from the inside, yeah, it's probably a bad time to go to the bathroom, isn't it? <laughs> so Erskine tells Howard to start it up. Then you hear, you see like this bright light start emerging from the the container as Dr. Stark, or Mr. Stark, powers up the uh, reactor. And after a decent amount of time in here, which I'm sure Steve probably feels like is a century, he emerges from the experiment taller and like solidly more muscular. Considered, I might, I might have to go through the same procedure myself. <laughs> so everyone comes down, they're all impressed, and then uh, in the midst of the celebration, Kruger, who's disguised as one of Erskine's men, kills Erskine in cold blood. And then Agent Carter takes a couple shots at him, and she hits him with one and then misses a couple others, which makes me question her accuracy. <laughs> and then uh, as Steve runs after him, he finally gets a hold of him after he jumps in the river into this like secret technology submarine and uh, pulls him out. And Kruger, you know, grabs one of his what appears to be a tooth, but it's actually a capsule of cyanide. And as he's dying, this is the first time we hear Hail Hydra. So it kind of leads us into what is Hydra and what's its purpose. I love that because doesn't he give the whole uh, cut one head off uh, two will take his place speech too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure enough. Yeah, I and got we also... chills when I first heard that in the theater. We also get a nice little um, hint at what Cap's new abilities are because he rips the door off a car and like launches it, kind of ends up doing shield. Yep. But he throws that like I think it's a taxi cab door at him. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Pretty yeah. slick. I loved the um, cutting back to the transformation moment uh, where I think Agent Carter is telling them they need to dial it back or they need to stop because they're killing him, and he keeps saying, "No, I can take it." Uh, I thought that was a cool character moment for Steve Rogers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they keep going. And <laughs> then when they have that funny little moment where uh, Peggy Carter comes up and starts, you know, touching his chest and stuff. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that whole thing was great. And uh, I really loved the actor that played Hans Kruger. Does anyone know who that was? Was it Thorn freaking Oakenshield? No, it couldn't be. <laughs> it didn't look anything like him. <laughs> but are you upset that he can't be in the MCU anymore? I am. I am. But they used him, and they used and abused him. That's it. He's gone. Yeah, it is. It's just one cyanide capsule is all it took to take Thorn out. I can stare down a dragon. Can't take a cyanide capsule. Well, it's his own fault. <laughs> So, uh, moving on with Erskine dead and his uh, super soldier formula is gone. Uh, Senator Brandt 
uh, son Steve. Uh, who was Brandt? Who played him? I forgot. Um, Why would you him? ask me that? I don't freaking uh, remember. I cannot remember. But anyway, uh, Senator Brandt decides that, hey, uh, let's put you on busy work, turn the nation in this uh, color, color, colorful costume as Captain America to promote war bonds, which, you know, for those of you that don't know, that gave money to the war effort. And they were actually really important back in the day. So he goes around basically doing this little circus uh, while the scientists study him and attempt to reverse engineer the formula that Erskine had. And they skip forward to 1943. Steve's on tour still. This time he's in Italy performing for active servicemen. And I thought that scene was really cool when uh, it's not just in front of the populace anymore. It's not just in front of uh, Jim and Joe working in factories, just supporting the boys in blue from across the sea. Now he's in Italy in war-torn territory. And you've got these guys with like missing limbs and stuff watching him and they start throwing stuff at him and, you know, cause they're just sick of it. And uh, I thought that was a cool transition where Steve's like really seeing like, these are real actual soldiers that are putting everything on the line. And I'm dressed up like a clown and he gets kind of a guilty, uh, moment in him so uh he's in tour in italy uh he learns that bucky's unit's gone mia in the middle of battle against schmidt who is definitely not red skull and refuses to believe that bucky's dead he convinces agent carter and uh, howard stark to fly him behind the germany line to mount a solo rescue attempt on bucky and the other soldiers steve infiltrates the fortress of the schmitz's nazi division hydra successfully freeing barn oh excuse me didn't pause correctly there. Uh, Smith's Nazi Division Hydra successfully freeing Barnes and the other soldiers. Rogers confronts Johann Smith, who removes a mask to reveal a Red Skull-like visage. Holy crap. Did you guys know he was Red Skull? No, I had no idea. Oh, man. Was they covered this up really well. They did. I didn't see this coming. Uh, earned him the name the Red Skull. Schmidt ends up escaping, and Steve returns to the base with the freed soldiers to be semi-heroes. We're welcome. So, there you go. So, the Red Skull. Yep. The Red Skull. I thought they did a cool job with the uh, the makeup there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I thought the scene where he peels his face off was a little weird. That was weird. Uh, Alex, what did you think about it? Uh, I mean, I can take it or leave it. There's definitely better ways to uh, unveil a character than ripping his own face off. <laughs> but I think we kind of saw it coming because when if you look back to the intro scene when they're in Tonsberg, he's in there and he kind of like messes with his jaw and then rubs his cheek. And yeah. you can definitely tell it's not real skin. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Well, uh, not throwback, but uh, foreshadowing where yeah. he pulls his eye down a little bit in that little area there. You could see it. Uh, I love that moment just to, not to go too far back. We was talking about the Tesseract and uh, he asked, uh, he asked the guy watching it. Oh, what was the question? He asked him something. He said, it's not meant for mortal men. And he says, right. He takes it himself. Yeah. He, he asked him, have you seen it personally? That's right. He says it's not for the eyes of mortal. And he's like, you're right. And he takes it. 
So right there, you can see him kind of declare himself more than a mortal man. He thinks he is. Yeah, he thinks he is. I really, really enjoy um, Hugo Weaving in this. Yeah, he did. And it disappoints me that he didn't come back. Yeah, and, you know, we've got a talking point about that later. They they talk about it over and over again in the trailer and in the poster and everything. Beginning of the battle with the Red Skull. You don't only see him this, as far as a fight goes, this one time. He is not in, so far, the rest of the MCU. As far as, like, uh, having a battle against him. I mean, he does make an appearance later on. And we'll talk about that way later. But it's not in a battle. We're not seeing Cap and go against uh, the Red Skull. Which, that would have been really cool if they'd had Cap go to that place. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I wonder how much that is due to him not wanting to come back. They may have had to change up a bunch of storylines because he, he didn't want to come back. I didn't know that he did not want to come back. Yeah, yeah the same thing with Edward Norton. They both decided they didn't want to come back for the characters. Huh. Interesting. After all the tie-in that he's got with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, he says MCU's too much for him. I don't know what his reasoning was, but yeah, I definitely I know that he decided not to come back, so they had to recast him. Maybe there was some kind of scheduling conflict or something. I'm not sure. He had, to go, suck, he had to go suck in Mortal Engines? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. But uh, moving on into the, the more of the plot, we're actually getting close to the end of this. Uh, but whenever Steve goes into uh, the Hydra facility, he actually gets some good uh, like firsthand knowledge of what Hydra's doing, and he really makes the case to the guys that he rescued. Hey, we need to go take down all these Hydra bases because they're doing some shit that is going to screw up some people up. So he forms this group they call the Howling Commandos which is a pretty cool little group from the comics. And they go and they start taking down Hydra bases. Um, and Stark hooks this team up with some pretty advanced equipment, some pretty cool weapons. And this is where we see him finally get his shield, uh, which is made of vibranium, which is rare and nearly indestructible metal. And the this scene with Peggy, Peggy Carter is my favorite in the entire movie. You guys know which one I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. She just picks up this pistol and fires it at him. <laughs> yeah. So it makes me wonder if, like, did she know that was going to stop the bullets, or was she like, all right, he's going to get hit one way or the other? <laughs> That's a good question. Did she even care? Yeah, because, I mean, before this, she caught him kissing another woman, or another enlisted individuals, and she wasn't happy about it. Yeah. Hell hath no fury. Man, no kidding. Right. Is a woman scorned with a gun. Ooh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's. let's not talk about that. <laughs> That's going to bring back some bad memories. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I think we can but, all agree our wives with guns is a terrifying notion. Without a doubt. Yeah, my wife's a hunter. So, yeah, so oh. mine. There you go. Scary stuff. Right? Well, we see these Howling Commandos. They go around, they start sabotaging various Hydra bases. And at one point in 1945, they actually attack a train. And we find out that Arnim Zola is on here. And Rogers and the Commandos successfully capture Zola, but there is a casualty. Bucky Barnes falls from the train and apparently dies. That's like a what, weird cliffhanger. What would you mean we about think apparently? Like, like spoiler alert, it's parent. 
<laughs> I mean, at, at this point, you fall that far up, you're you're like liquid when you hit the ground. Oh, yeah. without a doubt. But there's some stuff we don't know. That yeah. is true. That um, yeah, that scene. I mean, I you, you know it's coming if you read the comics at all. If you know any background about Captain America at all, you kind of see it coming. But uh, it it was just really quick to me. I mean, am I wrong? It's no, I agree. It was like thirty seconds. Boom! So it's done. Uh, I mean, I, I love the you know next scene, but uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of crazy that happened that fast. No, for sure. Because in the next scene, don't don't they? Um, isn't that when uh, Cap has his discussion about not being able to get drunk and stuff? Ah. Uh... I don't know if that's directly after or if that's a little later on. I can't remember. Well, it's definitely related either way, but I'm I'm not sure on the placement of that either, actually. So, but moving on with the plot, uh, using information extracted from Zola, uh, our good friend Tommy Lee Jones, he, uh, he acquires this information uh, from Zola in a great inter- in- interrogation scene, if I can speak. I don't remember Which, much about this scene. Well, it was funny because he walks in with this like prime cut of sirloin, some broccoli and a potato, and he hands it to Zola, and he's like, is there cyanide in this? Or he, he asks him, he's like, you're going to kill me, or something of that sort. And then Jones brings up the cyanide, because he's like, any Hydra agent we've caught Instantly kills himself with cyanide. What does it upset your stomach or something? <laughs> He's like, I've made this crazy conclusion that you want to live. Yeah. That's right. I've forgotten about that. And then he just starts eating the steak himself because he says he doesn't eat meat. Right. So, uh, anyways, cat or the, uh, the colonel finds out the final hydro location and, so Cap leads the attack to stop Schmidt from using his weapons to, uh, you know, basically take out a major, major American cities. And uh, so Cap climbs aboard Schmidt's aircraft as it takes off, from which I'm kind of jealous on this scene because Schmidt's car is really freaking cool. And I really would have enjoyed being able to drive that. Wait, what was it? I don't recall this. Uh, I don't think it's a legitimate production vehicle, um, but it looked really Yeah, cool. it did look pretty badass. I remember seeing that. So anyways, um, after Captain climbs by the aircraft, uh, the test rack is on it, and the container is damaged. So when Cap smacks the shit out of Smith, by throwing his shield and knocking him onto the container. That's when the damage occurs. Schmidt physically handles the Tesseract, which kind of makes him fade away. So I'm not sure exactly what happened here that caused him to fade away, or if if he uh, his comment early on is not for mortal men, and which he is in essence still a mortal man. He just didn't view himself that way. 
So what what did, what did you guys think about that? That he just kind of faded away. Well, I feel like it's kind of like uh, we see it a little bit later on in Guardians of the Galaxy whenever they're handling that Infinity Stone as well. But I guess it's kind of like overpowering him. Like he's not strong enough to handle it, so he's just gonna kind of like be absorbed into it. I guess it's kind of a weird way to put it, but that's how I picture it. That's fair. What about you, Tom? You know, and we've got the next movie coming up, Avengers. Do you recall a part where the Tesseract toward the beginning of the movie gets knocked loose and Nick Fury like handles it? I don't. I did not remember that. Yeah, it's at the very beginning of the movie uh, when Loki's first breaking into it. And you know what? We're going to cover it in the next movie. But let's remember (laughs) this as a talking point because uh, it happens. And I think it's kind of interesting because it's almost like the Tesseract itself judges the character of the person wielding it, uh, which is another reason that we see Red Skull later on. Good point. I guess that would kind of explain why Loki needs the scepter to wield it. There you go. Okay. Making some headways here. Yeah, we'll have to make make a talking point of that, make sure we don't forget it. Uh. So moving on, Tesseract falls and burns through the plane and falls into the ocean. Which I thought it was kind of interesting that it just burned through the plane whenever it was held by a wooden box early on in the movie. Yeah, that's definitely inconsistent. Yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies when it comes to the Tesseract, in my opinion. So, it's an alien artifact. I'll give it to him. Yeah. So Cap Captain is stuck on the plane and sees no way to land the plane without risking the detonation of the weapons and just killing millions of people. So he he's on the radio with uh Agent Carter telling her, Hey, I've got to put this in the water. That's the only way to save millions. She's trying to talk him out of it, saying, Hey, no, we'll wait, we'll get Stark, he'll know what to do and we can figure this out. And Captain tells her, you know, there's no other way, and this is my choice. I'm not going to take a risk on hurting you and millions others by trying to save my own skin. So Captain puts it in the water. And then we skip forward. Uh, we see Stark recover the Tesseract from the ocean floor, but is unable to locate Captain or the or the aircraft. And they just assume he is dead. Sad, 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 sad. Yeah, that was to me. That was a really emotional, uh, really heart wrenching scene there. Especially with the music, like you mentioned earlier, uh, they did an amazing job with the. Did anyone else see the technology that Stark was using to retrieve the Tesseract? Because I wanted to do some research on that, but I just I didn't have the time. Did anyone else read up on that and see like exactly what that was supposed to be? Uh, no, I did not. Was it a wooden it, box? It, it, <laughs> it looked almost like a prototype, like Iron Man robot, but like uh, controlled. Uh, he's not obviously in the in the suit, but I don't know. I'll have to do some research on that. I just thought that was something that I wanted to look up, and I just didn't have time to get to. Let's see. Uh, so you know, they come back to the present day, and uh, Cap wakes up in the 1940s Styles hospital room. And, of course, they don't really say anything about it at the time. But, you know, if you've seen any of the other movies, you know that this didn't really happen. 
And uh, when I first saw this in the theater, I'm like, oh, crap, he's in a Hydra base. Because uh, I thought they were just trying to trick him, which they were trying to trick him, but not like we were thinking. And he hears the radio broadcast of a baseball bang- game that he actually went to and attended himself in 1941. And uh, it's supposed to be live. And I thought that was really cool that he caught that. Uh, and Rogers deduces that something's wrong. And uh, he kind of scares the crow down the nerves leaves finds himself in the middle of present day Times square which can you imagine going from 1940s Times square to all of a sudden you're in 2000s Times square can you imagine what kind of a you know mind if that would be <laughs> so he's uh shield director nick fury comes out and informs him that he's been asleep for 70 years and uh it's when cab says i had a date talking about his conversation that he just had with agent carter when the plane was going down breaks all the women's hearts oh yeah i gotta be honest like that that kind of tugged on my heartstrings oh, it oh yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. i'm a very empathetic individual so like the fact or the you can see the sadness of you know hey i had a date i was supposed to be at and i promised and didn't hold it so yeah he was uh visibly shaken visibly upset and i thought chris evans did a really good job showing that right Definitely. Let's skip forward to a new segment. So Tom has named this segment "Gripes and Grins." So basically, it's uh, what we like, what we didn't dis, what we like, disliked about the scene or about the flick in general. Tom, since you named it, you want to go ahead and give it a start. What did you have on this one? Uh, well, my first gripe is that uh, Agent, K- uh, excuse me, Tommy Lee Jones did not get enough screen time. Uh, guy is a phenomenal actor. I love him. Pretty much everything he's in from like the fugitive, Men in Black, everything that he's got. Uh, Two Face. Two Face. Okay, that was a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> he still did an amazing job with what he had. So I, uh, I really like him, and I wish that he'd gotten more screen time, more lines, more stuff to do. Even just the small parts that he was in in the movie, I thought he just killed it. Uh, just talking about how small the guy was, I think it would have been really neat to see how he acted with because they didn't really show much of him um after cap came back in his you know newer body they didn't really show him interacting with him a whole lot and i thought they missed out on some things like that yeah the only thing the only time we see it is whenever he's basically telling him that uh bucky's probably dead yep he doesn't we don't really get like a reaction to the change or anything that i think yeah that would have been cool to see for sure there you go. One thing I want to hit that we missed was you can kind of see Tommy Lee Jones's reaction while Carter is talking to Captain over the radio. And like you can see he is shaking about it too. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes him such a great actor. He's got such a stone cold face, but just his little bitty movements, you can just tell what he's feeling. Just oh yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really good. And when they usher everyone else in the room, and it's just her, that's just so cool. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, a grin that I have for the movie: Haley Atwell, so hot. Agent <laughs> Carter, <laughs> dude, she's they did an amazing casting her. She is like nineteen forties, fifties woman, beautiful. And uh, she's just gorgeous. And I think she did an amazing job in this role. 
she did a good job as a pioneering feminist in a man's world back in the day. What'd you guys think of her? Yeah, I would agree. I think they did a oh, great yeah. job casting. I'd like to watch that little spinoff show that she got. I've heard it's pretty good. I just haven't watched it, but I definitely think that they did a great job casting her. And she's definitely one of the grins that I've got. And Tommy Lee Jones' performance overall was very good. I didn't really have any specific gripes on this one. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Haley Atwell in this. She's got kind of that uh, got the pinup girl look to her, and I re- I really enjoy that. There you go. And uh, one another. Uh, so, like I said earlier, um, one of the gripes that I had was about uh, the fight against Red Skull begins, and you know this is one of the only times that we actually this is the only time we actually see him fighting him, and it didn't actually last that long, honestly. So, I don't know. I expected more than that. Uh, other than that, the only other gripe I can is, I guess, in his training, they never taught him how to eject out of a aircraft. So, I don't know. It just kind well, of seems like a big plot hole. Even if he did eject out of it, that plane's still going to land in on land and kill people if it crashes. That I think that was his point, is that he he couldn't let anybody die, Like even if he saved himself. I don't know. I don't know enough about it because I would assume that if you put it in a nosedive and he ejected out of it, but I don't know enough about it also. And it yeah, was maybe. an experimental aircraft, was it not? So he might not have had the capability to do that. I, I think Tom's got a good point there. Like even if, even if he had been taught how to do, or even if he hadn't been taught how to eject, like if you put a plane in that deep of a nosedive, it's going to go down. And he was going into the Arctic. So, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, he would have dropped into sub-freezing temperatures, but at the same time, he's Captain America. He probably would have survived just fine. That's true. I guess we'll never know now. Something I realized listening to some of what Tom said, I think he's right when it comes to, they kind of skipped through some of the bigger parts of this movie that needed fleshing out a little bit, like the the train raid scene where uh, Bucky falls. They That was so quick. It went right by. And then this fight with the Red Skull, it, it didn't last very long. So it seems like they've kind of skipped through some of the big climactic points in the movie. Yeah, for sure. I Especially, didn't actually put that together until Tom started talking about it. Yeah. I'm a pioneer. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's next on the charter here? Well, we've got this little section I like to talk about called Easter eggs, and I know there's not a whole lot of regular Easter eggs in this one. We did talk a little bit about Hydra, but I wanted to talk about uh, something I read in an article. Um, the director actually did an interview, and or not the director, the screenwriter, and he said that they originally had planned cameos by two uh, Marvel characters, James Howlett and Eric Lyncher, as kind of like a World War II tie-in. Um, I'm sure you guys know that James Hallett is uh, the Wolverine. That's his real name. Eric Lyncher is Magneto. But obviously, due to some uh, ownership issues, this got scrapped. I think that this would have been freaking awesome. That would have been incredible. And they had already casted um, James Hallett and Eric Lyncher over at Fox. So they wouldn't have even had to do any work on it. It would have just been a short little script, right? And it would have been done. So I think I really wish they would have done this. I really wish they would have done this. 
But where would they put him? That's the question. Maybe just like a little one-off scene. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe like in the bunker or something while Captain America is walking around. Maybe they're standing off to the side or something of that sort. That would have been great. I mean, I'm okay. So I'm I'm a big Wolverine fan, but at the same time, I really really love the character development that they have in uh, Marvel with uh, Eric Lyncher having been through the Holocaust. And so if they had shown Magneto in there just as a kid or, you know, maybe he's rubbing his brand or something like that, uh, that would really hit me. Yeah, now that they own the characters, it feels like a missed opportunity. Definitely. And I was also doing some reading on the casting for this movie, and we can talk about Chris Evans all day and the icon that he's become for most people, but... Imagine if there was a short list for Captain America that included Channing Tatum, Jensen Ackles, and John Krasinski. Oh, I really feel like they made the right choice. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just like, a little bit. Channing all kudos to John Jesus. Krasinski, but he's no Chris Evans. Yeah, I don't know if I could see John Krasinski as Captain America. There's some rumors going around that he's being talked about for Mr. Fantastic, and I think that suits a lot better. Yeah, I can definitely see that being a good role. Being Reed Richards. I mean, putting some gray in his hair, I see physically, but I think he laughs. I think he got too much of a carefree, carefree nature. I don't well, know. Have you seen The Quiet Place? I did, and he did an amazing job in that. Yeah. So I can't judge him too, judge him, can't judge him too harshly. Um, because I'm so psyched about that second movie coming out soon. Yeah, and you know he really can't. He he can't do much worse than the Reed Richards from 2005. You know? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I cannot believe they actually made those movies. They're so terrible. They are very terrible. It, I, you know, Silver Surfer was worse than the first one. Yeah, it's no. garbage. Well, it, and then the remake. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that was laughable. How bad it was. Oh I yeah, mean, I really don't see how you could make that unless you were under the influence of Legends. <laughs> <laughs> so that they were all stoned while they were creating it. I'm I'm assuming that you'd have to be. I think that was really the nail in the coffin for Marvel characters over at Fox. Yeah. That and Apocalypse. I actually still haven't watched Apocalypse. I refuse. I heard it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you can't really get much worse than what it already is. But on the other hand, you still could. What was that one that just came out? Dark Phoenix? I didn't watch that either. I have not seen Dark Phoenix. I haven't seen that one. Fantastic actress, though. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, I mean, you can't say too much about fantastic actors if you haven't seen, you know, Game of Thrones, which she's in, but, you know, whatever. I have not seen Game of Thrones. I know, it's okay. I'll pray for you. (laughs) I'll eventually watch it. Hey, I mean, if this The Last of Us series is coming to HBO, then I'll have an HBO subscription, so... Oh, Oh, there you go. I'll I'll catch it. 
We can do a whole show about that. We better stop now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. We've got a couple more segments to hit before we get off here. So let's talk about this yeah. post-credit scene. Um, so Cap's basically he's just punching the shit out of this bag. He hits it so hard that he it flies across the room. He goes and picks up another one like he's just clockwork breaking these bags. Like and he's done Fury, it before a few times. <laughs> yeah, like he's got them lined up over on the side. Uh, but Fury comes up and offers him basically a job to save the world, and that kind of just launches into the trailer for the Avengers, which I thought was a little weird. I didn't like that they launched straight into a trailer and a post credit scene. I thought it was stupid, but I liked the rest of the scene. I just didn't like the trailer segue. Yeah, I like the uh, the line you trying to get me back in the world. He's trying to save it. Trying to save it. Yeah. So uh, that was uh that was interesting. So. Nothing on that, Alex. No, I y'all y'all pretty much covered everything I was going to talk about on that one. One of the more underwhelming ones for sure. Yeah, definitely uh, not one of my favorite uh, post credit scenes, but it wasn't the worst either. Uh, Stan Lee's cameo kind of went right over it. Ah, we did. I thought he'd be taller. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He plays like a general from World War II, and that's all he says. He's, I thought he'd be taller, talking about Captain America. Yeah, but Stanley's not exactly known for his lengthy cameos. Usually no, but they're usually a little bit. There's guys. He's got some pretty funny one-liners. Yeah, that is true. Well, you know when he played a uh, Hefner, he didn't even have a line. He just turned around. He was in the jet. He was in the uh, robe. <laughs> oh yeah, the costume did all the speaking all for him. <laughs> that was epic. The girls. Hey, Hef. <laughs> he just keeps going. He turns around like, what? <laughs> well, we've got one last segment to cover. I've dubbed this the translation. It may get renamed. I liked it last night. I'm not sure how I feel about it now. I guess we'll see. Basically, this is where we talk about the main differences between this film and related comic book storylines and the changes that were made. I've got a bunch of notes in this. You guys don't really have much, but feel free to pitch in whatever you've got. Uh, but Captain America and the Red Skull, they were both introduced in Captain America number one, which makes sense because that's his biggest villain. Here's a twist that not everybody knows. Stan Lee had no hand in creating either of these characters. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby co-created these characters. Jack Kirby's the man. Jack Kirby's a boss. Oh, yep. And in the comics, um, it's actually the Avengers that find Captain America whenever he's in the ice, and it's not some random team of scientists. And they ended up being the ones to revive him, and he joins the team after that. We'll get into that in the next movie. I've got a long thing to talk about there. But Hydra was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby together in Strange Tales number 135. We've got a lot of Hydra to talk about coming up. Um, and another thing that is a little bit off, um, Hydra was never really a World War II organization in the comics. It was always like post-Nazi era, uh, yes. even though the Red Skull did have a big hand in and its formation, but I just thought that was a weird takeaway. Alex, did you have something to say about that? No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. It it, it was post-World War II, but I think their integration to World War II was well done. Oh, yeah. I didn't have any complaints about it. I just thought it was a little different. Yeah. Um, The scene in this movie where Cap's, like, punching Hitler in the face, it comes straight from the cover of Captain America Comics number one. I thought that was a really nice little Easter egg that they dropped in there. I love the um the line they've got where they ask, you know, have you actually seen any action? He's like, Yeah, I've knocked Hitler unconscious like two hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's awesome. 
but no, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, I, I do remember reading and actually seeing a Stan Lee, I think about this Hydra. The reason that it came about in 1965 is in, in uh, relation to the, uh, you know, kind of like the hippie movement where we stopped trusting the government. You know, this is when, uh, Vietnam was about to start and all that. And, uh, so Hydra is kind of one of those, this is the super secret society of bad people. And this is something they felt that younger people, the younger generation could get around, you know, being suspicious of government activities that are taking place. So that's one of the reasons that Hydra was formed is because that was when, you know, people started thinking about, you know, maybe all the people that are supposed to be telling the truth aren't really telling the truth. Hmm. That's how conspiracy theories get started. There you go. We all know our favorite conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. I think we should have an episode on that, just like straight up conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. I bet my wife would get in on that. She loves those. Oh, yeah. I've got a, uh, yeah, I've got something on that later. We'll have to discuss that off the, the recording. We'll see if we can throw it on the calendar. There's two more things that I have to talk about here in the the translation segment. Uh, so in the comics, the Bucky scenes are quite a bit different, actually. Uh, Bucky actually gets blown to bits instead of just falling. And Cap falls into the Arctic water. And they're when they're working to disarm a drone, they're not on a train, so it's a drone. And I think that scene is drastically different because Bucky gets blown to bits instead of just falling. So it leaves a lot less to wonder. And whenever he comes back, it's got that much more impact. I think they kind of missed an opportunity here. But I guess it is Disney. Yeah, Disney's not exactly known for their uh, blood sport. Yeah, but they, they did cut a guy in half in the Mandalorian. That is true, but that happened off, off, uh, yeah, off camera. Crazy sauce. And now, this one is a little bit weird. So Peggy Carter is a member of the French Resistance, and Steve works with her during the war a lot. And Steve and Peggy are romantically involved, like pre-freeze. But post freeze, Steve's actually his main relationship is actually with Sharon Carter, not Peggy Carter. And in the comics, originally that's uh, Peggy's younger sister, but they re- retconned her to be Peggy's niece. And um, I think that's a little bit strange. Where like he comes back and he's like, "Oh well, I can't have Peggy." So, oh look, it's her little sister. It looks just like her. Yeah. <laughs> I, Consolation uh, prize. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird as well. Obviously, in the MCU that doesn't really happen. Like there's a little bit of romance there with Sharon, but obviously we know that he, he ends up going to live with Peggy, but I just thought that was a kind of a strange little difference, but agent 13 is a pretty cool character. We're going to see some more of her. Well guys, I think we've reached the end of our notes. Did you guys have anything else to add on this? That's about it for me. What about you, Alex? Uh, there was one thing I missed on the, uh, on the actor side, uh, Neil McDonough, who played? Uh, I can never remember his name. Oh, Dum Dum Dugan. Yeah, Dum Dum Dugan. I thought it was interesting how like they cast him as a World War Two, or in a World War Two setting for Captain America, but he was also uh, Lieutenant Duncan. No, that's not right. He was one of the lieutenants under Captain Winters in Band of Brothers. I've There's actually never seen World that one. Two setting. You haven't seen Band of Brothers? I've not seen that. It is a fantastic series. I highly 
highly suggested. I haven't seen that either. I want to. Uh, when that was out and big, both of Lacey's brothers were in the military and overseas. Kind of bothered her to watch that kind of stuff. So, but uh, I do want to check that out. I've heard nothing but amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It is extremely well done. And what, what's cool about it is without jumping too far into it, it, what's cool is they have interviews with all the individuals that it's about who are still, you know, breathing. That's really they cool. have My an interview at the beginning. War II vet. Do what? My grandfather was a World War II vet. He, uh, he actually lied about his age. He was 16 when he enlisted. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's one of those uh, different generation kind of stories. Yep. Without a doubt. Well, that sounds like something to check out. Band of Brothers? Is it, is it like a series then? It's not a yes. movie. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's an actual series. They they watch like movies rather than TV episodes, but uh, it's uh, I think there's it's technically a TV mini series, but there are nine episodes, I think. I was going to say eight or nine, and uh, ten yeah. episodes. Sorry, oh, supposed to be pretty gruesome too. So they are. Yeah, if you have a weak weak stomach, I would not suggest it. But he plays a uh, Lieutenant Compton. Okay, where where's that? What platform's that on? Uh, I don't HBO? know if it's streamable. HBO again? If Damn it is streamable, it'll be on HBO. I'm gonna have to get an HBO subscription, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, that's gonna conclude our episode uh, talking about Captain America: The First Avenger. Definitely appreciate you guys listening. I got some news on the listening front, though. We're actually on more platforms now. Five platforms. Um, still not on Apple. Apple's taking their sweet time getting us approved. Right now we're on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. I had nice. never heard of Radio Public previously, but we're on there. And our Google Podcast link is actually not working right now for whatever reason. That is really weird. But we appreciate all you guys listening. For sure. Definitely appreciate you. Follow us on social media. We've got our pages up now. We're on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram um, at Comics in Reverse. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Uh, ask us some questions. We'd love to do a Q and A. Uh, let us know what we're missing. Make some suggestions for episodes. Let us know, man. You guys got anything else before we sign off? No, I think uh, I'm really excited. We're getting closer and closer to Pluto, so we got to hurry it up. <laughs> yeah, got to hurry it up for sure. Run a little bit behind, but guys, thanks for listening. Uh, this one is going to drop. This one's dropping Monday. We've got the Avengers dropping on Wednesday. Um, and we should have Iron Man 3 dropping on Friday. Three release week, as long as everything goes to plan. So keep listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>